All right. Welcome back to Love Notes from God. We are on week four of Psalms 23, a psalm that calms. Um, and we're going to continue this week and we're going to talk about the valley of the shadow of death. But before we get into that, um, quick reminder, those of you who are attending in person or via Zoom, I am putting your names in for our drawing for our books that Debbie says she is claiming. We got our little journal says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. We have um, A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards, which I think is a phenomenal book that talks about um, the two times in his life that um, scholars believe that David actually probably wrote Psalms 23 during, but it talks about what it's like when those kings, even the king, is against you. And then... I have a shepherd's look at Psalms 23, and I think I picked up my copy instead of your copy because um, this one's a little dog-eared, um, but it is by um, Philip Keller, who was a um, shepherd in, um, I always went, look here, he was born in East Africa, and he was a shepherd, and of course, you know, he's done much more um, agricultural and livestock and that kind of stuff in other parts of the country, but he gives a unique look and perspective of what Psalms 23 looks like through the eyes of the shepherd. So they're great study books. If you don't happen to win the drawing two weeks from tonight, I promise you they're not expensive. Um, <laughs> so I have multiple copies of these, but we began tonight. And if any of you saw our um, Facebook promos for tonight, and I think it actually even went out not sure what went out on the church promos and the text. I think it may have not been talked about our snack. I think it was just our general announcement. But um, we, I kept telling you, you would have a sweet treat if you got here. So our sweet treat was that we used my air fryer, which we discovered is not, maybe not the best way, or we just haven't figured out the best way to use it to do this. But we made s'mores. And we did some gourmet s'mores and we did some basic s'mores and some of us didn't eat any s'mores because we didn't want sweets. Um, Audrey, as she left, had to have two more to take with her to fuel her up before her basketball game. So we have been enjoying the s'mores. But most of you know that I talk a lot. I have spent um, <laughs> over 30 years in children's ministry. I know I look, I'm not old enough to have done that, but the truth. I have done children's ministry. I am in my 32nd year of some facet. That doesn't mean that I'm a children's pastor at the moment, which I'm not. I have been. Um, I have been just, and it's, you know, just the one who goes in and does the snacks, but in some way, shape or form, I have been in children's ministry since I was 15 years old and it's never left me, but because it's so ingrained in me, that's the way I often teach. So I wanted to share this um, little object lesson where we use a s'more to talk about the value of the shadow of death. And we use that to get us in here. So this graham cracker, those of you who are watching, who are listening to the podcast and not watching the video, you just have to imagine with me, I'm holding a graham cracker up. This graham cracker is our life. My life looks pretty bland right now, doesn't it? It's just a plain old green cracker. But then sometimes in our life, our graham cracker has darkness put on it. So I'm putting chocolate on the graham cracker. You can't see it. Sometimes our life has darkness. How do we get out? How do we see our way out of the darkness? What do you need to see out your way? You need Jesus. But what do you light. So we need some light in the darkness or we're never going to be able to see our way out of problems. And that's when we call on God who sends the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit, the comforter, the paraclete, he's the helper. He says, I'll send another one who will help you, who will comfort you. And he helps us find a solution or to learn the skills to deal with our darkness. So my marshmallow is going on top of this darkness. Is the darkness completely gone? Sometimes our darkness stays 
because we live in a dark, sinful world. But what's on top of the darkness? The light. God always comes out on top. He will always be victorious. He always triumphs. He always wins. He's never going to come out on the bottom. God comes out on top. Our marshmallow here represents that light. And it's sitting on top of the darkness of the chocolate. Sometimes it takes us a while to see his success. If you, if right now this marshmallow is not melted at all, it's just a regular marshmallow. If I would stick this in the oven like this, I have made them in the oven. It takes it a little while, but it starts to melt and toast, right? And it covers the darkness. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we might feel like God's not reaching down and he's not touching this darkness that's in our life. But it's just taking a little time. Mm -hmm. We're going to learn about why that takes time. And sometimes then, or if I put it in the air fryer, it only takes two or three minutes. We've also discovered that it blows around in the air fryer. fryer. But, um, but it will melt and it will cover the darkness. And it also dissolves the darkness, doesn't it? The darkness, that chocolate starts mm -hmm. to melt when it gets warm in the light. But whatever happens in heaven on earth, that we're, our world is always going to come back around so that we win. Whether we win in this life or the next, we mm -hmm. win. Um, one of the things that um, Debbie has heard me say a lot in this past year when I get very frustrated with the way some things are in some situations in my life is, but God's told me the end of the story. I know the end of the story. And that God, we all know the end of the story. The light wins. So from now on forever, whenever you see a s'more, whenever you sit down and eat a s'more, whenever you see those Christmas ornament decorations, that's kind of what that looks like right now, <laughs> of a s'more, I want you guys to remember that when our lives become dark, and full of valleys of shadows. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. God is always with us. And in the end, he will triumph no matter what we're going through. And that's our simple, basic object lesson, basic little children's church object lesson that I use to talk about what. The basic premise is of verse four here of Psalms 23. Up until this point, we talked about in Psalms in Psalms 23, verses one through three, we talked about the good shepherd, right? And the things that he does for us. But what we're going to learn is when we get here to verse four, there's a change of tone. Up until this point, David has referred to the good shepherd in to the shepherd in third person. He says, he, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me by the still waters. And I walk through the path. It leads me through the path of righteousness for his name's sake. But when we get to verse four, there's a change. And he says, he shifts it and he makes it more personal. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He shifts it. He makes it personal. Now there's a relationship between him and the shepherd. There was a relationship in verses one through three. We talked about a lot the past three weeks about how deep that relationship is and how the shepherd cares for us. But here in verse four, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death and he shifts and he begins to speak directly to the shepherd. So I want us to think for a second, why does it take a valley for us to make our relationship with God personal? I think it's where it starts. It starts in the valley. That's the reason you have to get serious about whether you're trusting God or not trusting God. So we talked about those green pastures. We talked, and, and, and last week, Larry kept speaking a lot. The Holy Spirit was really in this room last week. And the, Larry would, kept bringing up obedience, listening to, to, to the shepherd. 
How can we have obedience if it's not personal? And sometimes, I mean, we, we've all said it. It takes us being at the risk of losing everything before we'll turn and look to God. I say it's hard for someone who is, it is really difficult for someone who is, um, who's been rich all, all their lives to find Christ. It says, the Bible says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle mm -hmm. than it is for a rich man to accept Jesus, to accept salvation. Why is that? It's because they don't have to depend on him for anything. Why do we find, and whether you agree with their theologies or not is not the question, but these so-called liberation theologies, um, we have the Latin American or the Hispanic liberation theology. We have African-American liberation theology. We have women's liberation where they're talking about how they've been pressed down and that Christ has set them free. Why do they believe so much more strongly or voice their beliefs much more strongly than what we do? They've been through it or they at least, they feel that they've been through it. They feel persecuted. And I'm just going to tell you here in Southeast Tennessee, when we're, we're kind of Mideast, we're not quite Southeast, but in the Southeast here in East Tennessee, in the Smoky Mountains, we ain't really been through it. We might have financial woes. We might have some economic issues and we feel like we're really going through it with our economic issues, but our lives aren't really threatened, are they? We're not being persecuted because we're a Christian. We don't have someone threatening to throw us in jail because we're speaking for Christ. Mm -hmm. True. Um, we don't have someone threatening to throw us into the Colosseum like these early Christians did. But our valleys, whatever they are, they're still dark. It will take, sometimes it takes that valley being so dark and you feeling that you have nowhere else to turn for you to realize how much you depend on God and how much we need him to guide our lives. So that's our valley. What are valleys? Let's just list just a few. And not necessarily anything that is yours personal. I'm not asking for that, but what could be a valley for somebody? Sickness. Terminal sickness. Terminal sickness. Yeah. Terminal sickness. Even for the reason Jessica is not here with us tonight is because they've discovered that their dog, their puppy, their baby has cancer mm -hmm. and they are most likely going to have to put him down so he doesn't suffer. But that's a valley for her mm -hmm. right now because that's that's grief. Um, with something, it's much more so, I think, when we get to our human relatives and loved ones, that sickness and illness and death becomes a valley. What else could be a valley? Well, not losing a job. If you lost your job and lost your income, that could be a valley. You lose your home. Dave and I actually, a few years ago, we were on the verge of, we thought we had nowhere to go. We had left the church. Um, we stepped down from pastoring. And so therefore we didn't have a parsonage anymore. We no longer had our house provided for us. And we had a um, friend of a friend, kind of, our children were in activities together and we kind of knew each other, who had a rental home that he allowed us to rent, even though we couldn't afford it. So one, so he'd have somebody in it over the winter. Um, but then what happens when someone comes along who can actually pay the rent he needs? Mm. Then it was time for us to leave. And he gave, he gave us like two weeks to get out and find something. We still weren't able to. We thought we were going to be moving. We, we actually called my parents, like we're moving into your basement. I mean, that's where we were. 
And, um, but God provided in the middle of that, another friend came forward and she had a rental and it ended up being, well, instead of us moving into her rental, her cousin took that house and then we rented what had been her cousin's house, but still it worked out. Mm -hmm. But then time comes again and they decide they're going to sell the house and we have to move nowhere to go. And God provided and we, and, and God provided a way for us to purchase a house. We had never, we didn't have that ability. We didn't think we were ready. God provided a way for us to purchase a house. But I, for two weeks, we were homeless. We had to be out. We had to rent storage unit, put all our stuff in storage unit. And we didn't know where we were going, but the kids were starting school that week. So we couldn't just, it wasn't like we could go on vacation, go stay for my parents for two weeks. Kids were starting school. We had to be there. And through all of that, we had a friend, um, who in their valley, some friends who were divorcing and he had been staying at, she had moved out and he had been staying at a um, cabin that they also had. And he said, I'm just going to save the cabin for two more weeks. You guys come stay in our house until your house, until you close on your house and you can move in. And we were provided housing. But how many valleys do you think we went through? That was in like 18 months. No, well, more like 24 months from the very beginning. So it was up and down and up and down and up and down. Home security can be a valley. Um, we talk about finances could be a valley. I think we've, I think most people have experienced a time where you've not quite had enough money to pay your bills or you didn't get the hours you needed that week or, um, Right now, you know, we have a daughter who is a server in in Gap, in Pigeon Forge area. Well, it's the off season. She had one day last week where she made $26 and she's usually makes much more than that in a day. It's the off season. Those are valleys. Illnesses are valleys. Strains on our relationships. Relationships become valleys. Um, Those are the things that we think of as valleys. Our car broke down. I got a flat tire on the way to work. Um, and we've talked a lot the past couple of weeks about being in a pit. But a pit is nothing like a valley. Because the valley, you can you keep walking through it. A pit, you're stuck. But a valley, you keep walking through it. And the shadow of, you know, valley of the shadow of death. It's all around you, but you keep walking through it. All right. The next part of this verse, and I'm moving faster tonight. We'll have to tell Larry it's because he's not here interjecting. <laughs> no, he doesn't interrupt. He interjects and brings much, much um, life <laughs> to our studies. Um, but it says, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. So we've just, we discovered I mean, discover, we've discussed what are valleys, but are we alone in that valley? Let's go to Daniel, feels that way, feels that way but let's go to Daniel chapter three. And I'm going to go to verse 24, but let's go to Daniel chapter three. And Daniel chapter three is, um, is a story about the, there's a couple stories that are in chapter three. But it's about the um, being brought into exile. The, um, was it the Assyrians? I want to make sure. That could be a valley when you feel like you're all alone. When you feel like you're all alone. Absolutely. So here we are. The It was the Persians, making sure I get to the right thing. They had come in and they had attacked and conquered Israel. But what they would do is they would, this was a method of warfare. They would come in and they would, um, they would take away all of the, um, what did Dave call them? Dave did this sermon on this once when he was youth pastor. He called them the jocks. The ones who were in good physical shape. They were pretty, the pretty boys. They, the smart ones. They took the cream of the crop and they brought them back to Persia 
to train them in their ways and in their culture and to assimilate them to their culture. And then they would go in and they would intermarry, not always marry. Sometimes they would just take concubines and stuff out of the conquered um, women and they would try to breed out. I, I hate that term, but that's what they were doing. They were trying to impregnate all of these young girls so that there would be more of their kind there and that they would eliminate the kind of conquered. And that's what they were doing with Israel here. We don't get all of that here, but that is what the Persian armies did. And so they've taken them back. And we know that Daniel, we know the story of Daniel in the lion's den, right? We know his story of, Dan, of Daniel's fast. We know that Daniel had the ear of the king, that he was so wise, he was an advisor, and he had an ear of the king. But not only that, he had friends there. He wasn't all alone in all of this. We learned that with the Daniel fast. He says, you know, let me and my men. Tina, I had to mute you because I was hearing all your background noise. You're good. I just want you to know what I had to do. All right. Um, so he would come in. They would come in and do this. He wasn't alone. He had friends. And we know three of his friends' names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were very much like Daniel. They were these pretty boys. They were the smart ones. They were the jocks. They were the cream of the crop who had been brought back to learn in the palace under these people to assimilate, assimilate into the culture. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar made that image of gold, right? And they were told to bow before it and they refused. And they were captured, not captured, but they were taken into custody, they were arrested, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace. And I want to read this. We know this story. They were tied up. They had no way of doing anything, right? They had bound them mm -hmm. so that they could throw them into this yeah. fire. And in verse 24, the Nebuchadnezzar, the king was astounded. So the king himself looked and stood up in haste. And he said to his high officials, was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? And they replied to the king, oh, certainly, O king. And he said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. And he recognized through that, that their God was the God and that the most high God was with them. Who was that other person in the fire? It was Jesus. It was God walking with him. Were they alone in their valley? No. Did they feel alone when they were being cast into that furnace? I, now I don't know about that or not. Yes. And, you know, we don't know. It doesn't say, but you have to think that their humanity and the fear of being, yeah, their fear of, and, and, the, and the pain that they probably, that heat, what they felt when they first went in, they, I'm sure they felt the heat as they were being tossed in, but they weren't alone. God walked with them through that fire. And he brought them out. They weren't alone in their valley. Now, how many times did people not realize God was there with them? Right. They had their eyes so blinded by the circumstances or that they're in that they could see it. Or their eyes on open with the blind. Mm -hmm. And let's think okay, we know this. We live in East Tennessee. We listen to Christian music. Most of us have heard the gospel song. There's another in the fire. And that's where this comes from. No matter what we go through. And, you know, the Crab family are the ones who really sang it and made it very popular, uh, at least that I've heard. 
and Tim Hill, Tim Hill sings it too. Um, but there's another in the fire and that's what it talks about. No matter what I'm going through, there's always someone else with us, a fire valley. They all, they're metaphors for that same, that darkness that creeps in our lives that we talked about with the s'mores. There's darkness that creeps in and we feel alone and we feel overwhelmed, but there's someone with us. Imagine that you were, and I'm glad that we're still imagining this and it is not something that's happened in our country, but imagine that you were standing out here and you're telling someone about Jesus and you're come and you're arrested and you're taken to the court and you're standing and you're on trial. That's what happened to Paul. Paul, who had that dramatic face-to-face -face experience when he was Saul and was blinded and healed and all of that to call him into ministry. has been arrested now and he's standing before Nero. And that's what we talk about here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to let you hop over there. 2 Timothy chapter 4. He is standing in front of Nero. And I'm going to start here at verse 16. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. Okay, I want to start there. My first defense. When I first, the first time that Paul stands before Nero, everyone who was with him abandoned him. He was alone. He felt like nobody was there. He said, they all deserted me. What does desert mean? Run off. Runs Maybe off. Maybe you standing there by yourself. Maybe standing there by yourself. <clears throat> leaving you stranded. Yeah. You're in need and they're just That's leaving you. Yeah. He had the grace though to say, may it not be counted against them. How many of us have that grace to say, don't count it against them, God, I understand. It's hard. We want vengeance when they run off on us and leave us, don't we? But we... I don't do that. I don't want to do that. Human nature sometimes rises up in us. Yeah, it's the flesh. It is the yeah. flesh. You're right. It's a way of fearing, not wanting to move forward. It gets in the way. Yeah. But he says, may it not be counted against him. And then he said... He's all alone. He thinks he's all alone. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Said it through me, the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. Now, I don't believe that while he's on trial, he's literally standing in the lion's mouth and someone grabs him out of it. I think he's saying he was saved from having to be thrown into the Colosseum with the lions. I do believe that that's what that means. But he said, God was with me and he strengthened me. Um, he, I think there is one um, translation. I don't remember which one it says. It says he emboldened me or empowered me so that he could speak. And we've talked about this. Each of us has a job that God's given us. That's what our green pastures are for. And he takes us from green pasture to green pasture to refill us so that we can go back out and to walk in his paths of righteousness and do what he's called, called each of us to do. But here, Paul's telling us, I, feel, I was alone. They all left me. They all ran off. And I was the only one there. But God was with me. And he strengthened me. So that through me, the proclamation could, of the gospel could be made. Through me, the Gentiles heard the truth. And through that, he was saved. They didn't convict him and they released him. Verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He's trusting not if this would happen again. He's saying, I know this is going to happen again. I know that that's where my life is. I know I'm living this life of persecution, but the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. 
He recognizes that death may be the result of one of these things, but that he knows the end of the story, like we talked about a little bit ago. What's the end of the story for those that believe and love Christ? It's heaven. It's heaven. The end of the story, whatever we're facing, the end of the story is eternity with Christ. Somebody has said, and I don't, I can't find who said it. I found the quote several places, but it says, somebody has said, God goes before us. He leads us when the path is smooth, but he stands beside us when the way is dangerous and frightening. When he goes before us, when the path is smooth, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by the still waters. But it says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Not you're in front of me and I can see you. Not you got my back, but that you're with me. You're surrounding me. You're taking me through this place. I'm jumping around a lot tonight, but let's go to Hebrews 13, five through six. And I'm going to start with the second half of verse five here. I'll give you guys just a second. Hebrews what? Chapter 13, and we're going to start in the middle of verse 5. Chapter 13, right there in the middle of verse 5. For he himself, who is he himself? It's capitalized, so we know this is talking about who? It's not about Lord, it's talking about Jesus. For he, it's in the middle of verse 5 there. It says, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor will I ever forsake you. The New American Standard here says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? What will man do to me? God is with us when we're going through the danger. God is with us when it seems scary. God is with us when it seems like there is no hope. Seems like there's no hope. But I, this is something, and I got this out of the Keller book. He talks about the reasons that shepherds lead the sheep through the valleys instead of up on the mountaintops. Up on the mountaintops, you know, there's sharp inclines and stuff and they can fall off. And when they go through the, the valleys, there's gentle slopes that gently lead them up. They're not mountain climbing. They're not going straight up. If you go through the valleys, you can gently start to make your way up. Higher and higher elevation is needed. But one of the most important reasons that shepherds take their sheep through the valleys <clears throat> when they're going from green pasture to green pasture. Remember, he makes us lie down and rest because that journey is going to be rough to the next one. So when they're going from green pasture to green pasture and the valleys, they're going through the valleys. He's leading them through the valleys and he's taking them through. Those are well-watered roots. There's water to be found. There is refreshing water to find along the way. And that just hit me. He's leaning us through the valley, but he's refreshing us as we go. In the valley, we find that life-giving sustenance. Remember, water is the life-giving sustenance. We can live for 40 days or more without food, right? And that's what we talked about uh, uh, Two weeks ago, I think, when we talked about the still waters, we can live like 40 days without food. We know Jesus survived 40 days fasting. We know Muhammad, um, Muhammad, um, Gandhi lived for how long? I mean, he fasted for months on end.
but the human body at most can live three to five days without water. Water is 90% of our body. We have to have water to live. And when we're in the valley and we feel like we have nothing spiritually, there's nothing to eat. There's nothing to drink. There's nothing around us. And we're just, we've hit rock bottom. God gives us that life-giving water of Christ and of himself to refresh us along the way. We're never alone. He's refreshing us as we move through the valley. That, that just speaks to me that along that valley, there's springs. We know the springs often are higher in the, in the mountains and trickle down, but there's brooks. There's streams. There are sometimes rivers. There's ponds. There's these places of peaceful, cool water. So when he's leading us beside the still waters, Sometimes I wonder if it's in the middle of this valley and he's bringing us to refreshment in the middle of our valley. The valley of the shadow of death. One more thing before I get off the valley and go on to the rod and staff. We think of the valley as the worst place possible. And a lot of that is because of this military idea, that militaristic idea that we have of watching movies and TV shows and hearing stories of war heroes. And they always tell you to take the what ground? Higher ground. Why do we need the higher ground? So you can see below so that you have a better, you have an eagle eye vantage, bird's eye view, right? So that you can see what's going on. You always, if you have to stay in the valley, you always try to send a man up to scout and be able to see around. I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. Soldiers walk through valleys and they feel like they're really, they're in the shadow of death. Something's going to come at them at any time. But God, as a shepherd, says, no, the valley's not that scary. I'm with you. I'll be with you all the way. I'm going to take you through. And along the way, I'm going to make sure you've got some refreshing water here. And you're going to find things out about yourself that you never knew were possible, that you never knew you had in you. You're going to find things about yourself that you might have thought you got lost in the past. But I'm going to bring that out in this valley and I'm going to show you. And this refreshing water is going to refresh, it's going to restore you, and it's going to bring you back to where you need to be. So that when we get to this next green pasture, you're going to get to eat your fill because now you know what you need and you know what sustenance you need. And then you're going to go on and you're going to do it again. And we're going to do it again. And we're going to do it again until we reach heaven. But God says, you will not be alone. Never will I leave you nor forsake you. Never will I desert you. Never will I desert you. I'm with you all the way through and I'm going to feed you and I'm going to give you drink and I'm going to take care of you. And so when David takes it from talking about the shepherd as a general, as a he, but as a you, I think at this point, David had a shift in his spiritual life and God, I need you. And I know that you're with me. He felt that comfort. He felt that peace. Maybe after he hid in the cave and was close enough to, to kill Saul and God stopped him. You know, I, I just wonder, is, is that when that happened, when he realized, wait a second, I'm right here in the shadow of death, but God's with me because God's telling me, no, you don't do that. David had a personal relationship. And we know through David's story that he went through valleys and he messed up. But the one thing that the, that the word says about David is that he was a man after God's own heart. And why? Because I think he learned this, this 
concept of the valley, that the valley is not a scary place, even though it looks scary, but that that's where I can find God. And when I'm in the valley, God will reach down and that good shepherd will guide me and he will take care of me and he will lead me and he will make sure I've got exactly what I need to get through to the next step. And then you look at that verse two, it's referring to the shadows, yeah. not referring to that actually you're in, mm -hmm. you're dead. it's just the shadows. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That could happen if God wasn't there. Right. right. Absolutely. I'm going to go on to the rod and the staff. It says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Um, rod and the staff, they comfort me. Hmm. We talked last week a little bit. We kind of mentioned it when we were getting kind of down one of our rabbit trails of things. We talked about the rod and the staff being these things as things that um, the shepherd uses to defend the sheep, right? We thinking about them beating off stuff. But here's something that I recognize through all of this writing, and a lot of this comes out of the Keller book here. The rod is an extension of the shepherd. Shepherds practice that rod. They practice being able to throw it and let it land just in an exact spot. Um, they, Keller uses the analogy, he says that the rod is an extension of their right hand. So it is, their arm can only reach so far, but then that rod goes even farther. But a shepherd might, doesn't always use the rod just to beat off wild animals. That's what we think about the rod, because we see this big stick and we think, oh, well, he's using it to beat off the wild animals who are attacking. And yes, he can use it for that. And the shepherd does use it for that. But the shepherd might actually throw the rod in front of a sheep to distract that sheep that's wandering down the wrong path because it'll startle him and it'll, oh, and it'll come back to the flock. So this is the interesting thought I got from Keller. When God commanded Moses to tell Pharaoh to let his people go, what Piece, what what physical object does he use any time that he's speaking from God to perform these miracles? He's using his rod, right? His staff and his rod, he slams down, right? And that it becomes the serpents and whatever and scares um, Pharaoh because when Moses, when Moses yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Turned into the snake. What did he use to part the Red Sea? It was his rod. He held it out. He said, stretch your rod out, right? Huh. So God's commanding Moses to do these things. He's commanding Moses to use that rod. Okay. This is a little bit of a rabbit, not rabbit trail, but kind of follow with me. I want to make sure you guys stay with me. He's using that rod to perform the, many of the miracles through that escape from Egypt. So the Israelites came to see Moses's rod a lot of the same way that we understand when a minister says, thus says the Lord. That rod represented word of God to them, that this is God speaking. When that rod came out, they knew God was moving. That's what they came to believe because Moses used it for miracles, right? So if we are um, I don't know why it's doing are you using a lot of that interchangeably? I well right now I, I am a little bit. I am a little bit. Um they have they have similarities and then they have some differences. The rod is used to throw ahead, and then the staff will be used for something else. But they are both being used here. Moses uses those interchangeably. They're used as 
the the way that we, if a minister would get up or, or in, in our Pentecostal denomination, we believe that, you know, anybody who the, the, the spirit has poured upon the word of prophecy to says something, but in our ministerial studies, it tells us that when you say, if you prophesy, you must end it with thus says the Lord. Why? Because we're putting the authority of God behind those words. And that way they're not man's words. When Moses used his rod and his staff, when, he, when God had him use them as those, that was his way of saying, this is God saying it, not me. Okay? So connect these here for a second. The sheep know that that rod is a guide and a protection. It's a way that the shepherd communicates with them. It is not. A good shepherd does not beat his sheep with the rod. A good shepherd does not beat God's sheep with the word. The rod is supposed to be comforting. Even though it can be startling, like when you throw it out in front of a sheep to make it come back because it's wandering off, the word of God is the same way. Sometimes we go through and you're reading, you're like, whoa, I didn't know that was in there. It can be startling, some of the things, but God uses his word to get his sheep back onto the straight and narrow path, right? To keep them from wandering off. Yelling stop or don't touch to your child to a two-year-old who's going after the stove. It's startling and they, right? But if you yell stop all the time, does it do anything? No. They can condition to it and they ignore it. We startle our children to get their attention when there's danger ahead. The shepherd startles the sheep to get their attention and get them back in the, into the flock when there's danger ahead. God startles his people with his word. Sometimes, and I don't know, I don't, I did not intend to say this, but <laughs> sometimes when a preacher is preaching and you're like, somebody told them what's going on in my life. They had to know they were preaching at me and they were, they were criticizing my life. Nah, nah. No, sometimes God is using the word and he's using that minister to tell you, I don't know who's listening. It needs to hear this, but if the preacher is preaching, he's not preaching at you. He's preaching the word of God. And he is telling you as a, as a mouthpiece of God to get back on the straight and narrow, to get away from what's driving you afar. He is the rod that he's throwing out in front of you to startle you back to him. When we take offense at the man or woman of God who is coming to you and bringing you the word and leaning you on the straight, on the path of righteousness, when we take offense at that, we're taking offense at the very word of God. And we're offended by the shepherd and we're wandering into dangerous territory where those shadows are no longer shadows, but become real and present dangers in our lives. We have to listen when the shepherd guides us. Okay, the staff has a bit of a different function. It's still the word of God. I still believe that the rod and the staff are representative of the word of God in our lives. But a staff has a circular neck like a cane. And we talk about the shepherd's crook. Um, those of us who have hang flowers sometimes in our yards, we use what's called a shepherd's hook and it's got that curve in it, right? <clears throat> Shepherds use the staff to reach out and catch the sheep. Now I want you to imagine for a minute, a sheep has somehow ignored the rod where something's tried to startle it and keep it, prevent it 
So it ignored the prevention, the warnings. And it's gone, wandered off the path. And it's become entangled in those thorns and briars along the side of the path. And its wool is stuck. And the more it moves, the more those briars and thorns wrap into its wool and the less it can move. And the more it struggles, the worse it gets. The more it struggles, the deeper and thicker those, those um, thorns get into its wool. And the wool becomes matted. Felts almost. The wool's become so entangled in the thorns that it cannot get loose. But the shepherd can come along with that staff and put it around the sheep and yank it free. And that is the same thing with the word of God and with your, your, your shepherds, the men and women of God who come to you. Sometimes they are trying to yank you out of that life, not because they are condemning you, not because they're worried about appearances, but because they're worried about your very soul and they see you becoming so entangled in these thorns of life that you cannot get loose on your own. And they will come and they will rescue and they will yank you out. And they may say things that you think are offensive. I'm really onto this tonight. I don't know why. But you may think, that they are saying things to offend you. You may think that those things are not, that's not the politically correct thing to say. That's not what you say to people today. Oh, you can't say that to people. Let me tell you something. God's word cuts like a two-edged sword and it's gonna hurt when the truth is spoken to you. And that shepherd is reaching down to you and he is grabbing you with the staff that God has given him of the word and he's trying to yank you back. And if you continue to pull away, you're going to stay stuck in those thorns and you will die. Mm -hmm. End of discussion. That's it. If you do not allow the shepherd to help you, you will die. But what we know is that the shepherd rejoices. Let's look at Luke 15. This is a parable that Jesus said. Parable when he's talking about things that were lost. And we're going to talk about the lost sheep in Luke 15, chapter 15. We're going to start here in verse 3. Luke 15, 3. So he told them this parable saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep, and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture, okay, open pasture are those green pastures we talked about, guys, and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. When he has found it and he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. We are in the green pastures. And sometimes those 99 of us sitting in that green pasture and we're in our place, our resting place, we don't understand why God's leaving us there and why he's worried about this person who's out there wandering around doing whatever. But he worries because he cares about that lost soul. And we're supposed to care about that lost soul. And while that shepherd is going out with the rod and with the staff and he's yanking that soul back, we are to rejoice when that brother and sister comes back. Mm -hmm. And it's hard sometimes, especially if that brother or sister has wronged you as a righteous person. And they walk in. And what are we supposed to do? Love them. Love them. John 17, 35, am I right? That is how they know that we are his disciples, is that we show them his love. We love one another. We love one another. We have to love those lost sheep when they're brought back in by the rod and staff. If it took the staff of three or four shepherds yanking it once to yank that sheep out and bring it back. We're still to love them. 
if it just took the rod being thrown slightly to startle them back, we're still to love them. We are to love that lost sheep because they're not lost any longer. They are not lost any longer. They are now in the green pasture and they are beside the still waters and they are get, learning to walk in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And how can they learn if we don't model how to walk in those paths of righteousness? The valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I used to wonder as a kid, because I would hear all these images and stories, um, illustrations about the rod and the staff being these offensive weapons, where they're like beating off the um, wild animals and all of that. And I was like, how does that, that's not real comfort. And I tried to make sense of it. Well, they're protecting me. So that's comfort. But the comfort is, is that wherever I go, whatever I do, mm -hmm. that rod and that staff can reach me mm -hmm. and draw me back to the shepherd. And whatever mistakes I have made no longer matter because I was lost and now I'm found. Mm -hmm. The rod and the staff comfort me because they bring peace. They bring me to the place of rest. Mm -hmm. They bring me to that place of restoration that we talked about last week. He restores my soul. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to help restore other souls. I want to be that one that God uses to pour into someone to restore their soul, mm -hmm. to bring that healing. And, and we'll talk about this when we get to where he talks about anointing the head with oil, which is later, but that that's about medicinal. It's not just about anointing and ministry, which we take it for, but it's about a medicinal thing to heal the sheep. But first, before we can get to that, we have to allow the rod and the staff to do their job. And the rod and the staff will bring comfort when their job is done. All right. Anybody have any comments? Maybe he's writing. You got any comments? When you said something that's just been stuck to me about pouring into others, that's something that I've been dealing with. Like I'm dealing with about but if you look at Psalm 23 and where it says I and me, and you put your name in there, mm -hmm. it makes it like personal. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's just what it takes to make you remember even more, too. Get that. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Um, I'm going to wait till the furnace gets kicked on so you can hear me. All right. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence in this place. Father, I thank you for the words that though they're thousands of years old, what's written in your word jumps off the page to us. Very pertinent, very important, very much relevant to our lives because your word is a living thing. Father, I ask that you would take what we have learned and discussed here, Father, that you would take this and ingrain it in our hearts and in our minds, that the valley is not a place to be feared because those shadows hold no danger when we're with you and that you are with us through the valleys. And Father, that your rod and your staff, they're comforting us because they will bring us back from those places of danger and into your arms. Father, I pray that through this week, that as we see those who are hurting, who are lost and dying in this world, that you would open our mouths, that you would give us the words to say, those words that might be the rod and the staff, but those words that might draw them back to you. Father, I thank you. Thank you for what you are doing 
through each member of the small group, but Father, what we are seeing you do, the changes and the lives that are being changed every day. We just praise you for that and ask that you continue to do this and bring us back here next week, Father, so that we can dig in more. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.